Joseph Bendick with the Novitas organization. All right, otherwise known as J.B. Bendick. Do you prefer one or the other? I go by J.B. Bendick. If you call me uh, Joey, it's quite all right, but I would think that's probably my mom or my dad being mad at me, so I'd stay with J.B. Okay, I was going to say, sometimes the parents whip out the middle name, and then you're in trouble, but uh, we'll just go with J.B. to make sure it's nice and friendly-like, because we like to have conversations here at The Crude Life. But before we get into the actual interview, I wanted to see if you wanted to play along with our headline segment, because you always offer such good insight. And the way that we do headlines here is we like to read the news like every other American out there and every other person who gathers the news through the social media, where they read the headline, and then they read possibly the first two paragraphs, make their assessments, and move on and that's actually how they get the news. And unfortunately, that's how most people read the news. So we like to do a little segment like that. Do you want to play along? Sure. All right. It's just like watching news in the morning on TV. You know what I'm saying? So, all right. New Mexico oil executive. You know this one here? Claire Chase is running for Congress. This comes to us from foxbusiness.com. Claire Chase is running for Congress to turn New Mexico's second district red again. The political newcomer and former New Mexico Oil and Gas Association chairman and mother of two told Fox Business's Maria, is it... uh, Bartiroma? I don't know how to pronounce her last name. I apologize. That two major themes of her campaign are the Second Amendment and the border. All right, JB, have you seen this story? Do you know much about Claire Chase? You know what? No, this is the first that I've uh, heard of it, so I have to definitely do some more homework on it. So, so I have seen it. She's she's a very attractive. Um, so she's that that of course you know plays into politics as well. Uh, and she's if she's going to be running for New Mexico's oil and gas, that is going to be a very key topic going into this year's election. They're already having headlines in New Mexico that the governor's kind of wishy-washy on it. So, I mean, the, the oil and gas industry is all over who's supporting us and who's not supporting us. So uh, I, I think this is kind of a, a sign of things that you're going to see. I saw Colorado has a... Uh, oil and gas executive as well, running for, I think, a local uh, election, that sort of thing. Are you seeing anything in your neck of the woods of this oil and gas executives coming into politics or vice versa? Yes, specifically for those you know, two counties, Lee and Eddie, you know, which is a part of the Permian, the activity there, just because of the, the attitude from the legislature within New Mexico on the, on the state level looking to possibly go in and do a cold turkey frack ban and many of those individuals i believe don't really even understand what exactly fracking is and if they can't even uh understand if it's a c or a k after frack i think we got to start with that uh before we get into even definitions of what fracking is and if it's good or bad but the state of new mexico um i don't think you know the legislature really understands the economical impacts that it brings from, from even from a taxation standpoint on the production and, and how it, that is, I believe, I mean, don't hold me to, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think more than a third of their budget is, is derived from tax on production within Lee and Eddy counties alone. So mm-hmm. I think it's, it's something that has to be addressed. And if we don't uh, push back against it, then they're going to control the narrative. And we understand exactly what can happen on that case. If you look from what's going on globally right now within within ESG and, and um, the anti, you know, the climate, the climate deniers and, you know, climate action now, climate emergency groups that are out there. 
By the way, folks, J.B. Bentick is our guest, and this is all organic right here. The reason he doesn't have the numbers in front of him is because this is all from the hip. Provolone, our producer here, has put together these headlines. I have not even seen these headlines yet. So both of us are going fresh off of this, but we're just kind of absorbing them. The next one comes from Natural Gas Intel. Wyoming governor to fight for protecting natural gas, oil, and coal development. Kind of another political one here. Uh, recognizing carbon sequestration needs to be part of the mix, Wyoming Governor Mark Gordon on Monday pledged to continue advocating for the natural gas, uh, oil, and coal industries while pushing back against anti-fuel advocates he called myopic. Uh, what I'm seeing here is another bordering state to Colorado where the governor or a politician is coming out early coming out during a lot of the different uh, NAPES and a lot of the, you know, uh, Colorado DUG, Doug is coming up, you know, all kinds of different things are, you know, the, the conferences are coming up. So I'm seeing, you know, kind of the battle lines. People are picking sides early. Uh, JB, what, what are you hearing from the tea leaves you're reading in that headline and first couple paragraphs? Thank God for the Cowboys in Wyoming. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. Uh, well, we at the Crude Life, we got a picture of the governor with like an AK-47 looking thing from the Energy Expo last year. Man, he was fitting in just fine uh, from that. But, you know, it, it almost seems like because the political season has started with the uh, national Democratic debates, we're starting to see some of the candidates come forward and say i support oil and gas because it's that much of a key issue going into 2020 that's what i'm reading from this headline i don't know that's that's i guess my two cents on that yeah and, and you know just i think too you know the the leadership there in wyoming realizes that they can take market share from colorado if colorado doesn't want to capture the benefits uh, economically uh, and socially that's available from oil and gas production right there they'll take it so i think again it goes back to that cowboy way and um you know there's some activity you know taken up there in, in that basin as well just because they're able to get uh great production numbers out of out of their wells for almost i think somewhere around five to six million dollars per well which is you know four million less than what they do in a permian with almost equivalent oil production um yeah again i don't have numbers in front of me because we're doing this from the hip but if you look at it from a cost basis you know I say congratulations to, to Wyoming and their leadership, and I think you know Colorado ought to cowboy up too, or they're going to start losing some of their you know, their workers. Part of being the podcast, we got to be young and hip from the hip, and we need to come up with some different ways to keep the uh, audience engaged. So, our third and final headline generally is not oil and gas related. JB uh, Provolone, our producer, our entitled intern, he likes to uh, pick just random things from science to pop culture to anything else. You could pass on this next one if you'd like, or you can join in. I don't know. I mean, you seem like you're kind of hip, uh, hip from the hip, I guess. But this comes from the Bro Bible. Oh, Provolone, what is this? Comes from the Pro Bible. Uh, it says, Baker Mayfield's, oh, I know about this. Baker Mayfield's alleged mistress does radio interview and claims they once hooked up behind a cheesecake factory a month before he got married. Baker Mayfield may have a bit of an off-season distraction on his hands. Over the weekend, a woman by the name of Casey Dingus was angry. Mayfield blocked her on Twitter and went on to claim that she hooked up with the Browns QB. Okay, now I, now I get why the story's here, because 
Isn't that a total millennial move? You block me on Twitter and I'm just going to blow up your life. I mean, apparently everything was fine until she he blocked her on Twitter. Jeez. Oh. Man, I, I wouldn't be worried about that. I'd be questioning why, why in the world you got the Cheesecake Factory. Don't you got more game than that? I'm I, the Cheesecake Factory. I mean, uh, I, I, I mean, unless you're like, a, you know, maybe he's reading Dave Ramsey or something and stuff going all out, like, you know, to, oh. uh, you know, a good steakhouse or something. You know, that's the way, that's my takeaway from that one. You scroll down in the story and you realize not only Cheesecake Factory, she looks like a gutter troll, man. That's not a... Baker Mayfield, what the heck, man? I mean, that's that's something. Else. You know, and the thing is, let's let's just take a step back and let me be a father for a second here because you you come forward with this because he blocked you on Twitter and you go out on the radio and all this other stuff. What are you looking to gain out of this? Because future employers now have this to Google forever. You, how old are you? You're in your early 20s? And you meet Baker Mayfield behind the Texas Cheesecake Fact. By the way, if you go and read the story more, JB, it talks about how he, you know, wouldn't check for phone. They, they check for phones and all this other stuff. And, and um, so she willingly went behind the Cheesecake Factory without her phone. And she didn't know if it was Baker Mayfield. So she hit a phone. I mean, she's like Ted Bundy's dream. Like, just, yeah, come in the back of my car behind the Cheesecake Factory, but don't bring any ID or anything like that with some dude that you don't even know if it's him or not. Oh, wow, this is good stuff. So anyway, that's, uh, you know, if you got any more comments on that, but uh, that's that's what I took away from that story, just real quick. Well, you know, I would say, hey, hey Baker, if you're listening, man, come on out. The oil would love to have you turn some wrenches. <laughs> right with that we're gonna take a quick pause we come back we're gonna more with jb bendick from novitus as we talk about nape his thoughts about a few of the comments that he and i both have been receiving via social media internet and phone as well over uh talking with people what some of the vibe is from nape right here on the crude life podcast Welcome back to the Crude Life Podcast. We've got J.B. Bentick with Novitus with us to talk a little. By the way, what does uh, your organization do? Give yourself a plug before we get into some of the NAPE talk. Yeah, we handle strategy for innovative companies within oil and gas. Excellent. And let's get to kind of some of the meat of the topic here, some of the progressive talk uh, with the Crude Life and yourself and what people are talking about in the industries. Mixed messages coming out of NAPE last week. One, one of the things that we talked about was uh, reconnecting with Generation Z. I think they've got basically anybody under the age of 40 to reconnect with, to be honest. And that is something that uh, here in the crude life, we've been, well, we talked about it last summer at several uh, speaking presentations I did, as well as panel discussions. So I was happy to see it come out of NAPE. There were some things I was a little bit critical on as well, but let's start with the, the reconnecting with the youth. What are your thoughts on industry getting on the same page now that we do need to reinvent energy and figure out how to reconnect? Yeah, you know, the, 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 the biggest thing and concern for me is, is the fact that, you know, we stay in this bubble. And... We have to learn to get outside the bubble. 
we have to learn to go and actually engage con and I call it con conversation, not conversation. Anyone can just have a conversation back and forth and then those usually turn into debates and, and people get fired up in emotions and, and nothing gets accomplished out of it. And I believe that if, if we are able to step out of our comfort zone and be able to again conversation and be able to point out that everything that's around us with an oil and gas and everything that is consumed and used by the younger generation comes from in one shape or form or another from a petroleum you know product or byproduct and i just think it, we we are to blame as an industry because we stay in our bubble and we and we ju we just don't engage and we think oh you know they're stupid or they're this or that and that doesn't accomplish anything so i think that's you know the number one way that we can um engage engage with them is, is to have a have a conversation as i say with them how about when it comes to talking to them about some different facts uh presentation obviously was brought up and in, in ways of you know like i say reinventing energy reconnecting uh conversation like you said i've i've even gone as far as to say i think we should get rid of the word fracking and just change it with flushing you know horizontal flushing you know flushing is something relatable it's something people do every day you know even the kids will probably laugh because it's poopy you know and they know it's where the poop goes so it's chuckly you know but that almost seems like too dramatic and too drastic of a change but at the same time when i hear the word frack you fracture a relationship you fracture a dam you fracture a bone. There's really not a, uh, anything but a negative connotation with the word. And so that's the type of conversations I, I, I'm wondering if anyone is even having in the industry because I've never heard that before of you know just making some slight changes like that. Um, what are your thoughts on, on something as crazy as changing fracking to flushing? <laughs> it's, it's, it's a great idea, but even within the industry with a week alone, have debates on if you spell frack with a C or a K and we can't get past that. <laughs> I think we're totally screwed on trying to switch up the whole name on it. See, see, my, my way takes care of that whole debate. It eliminates it all right there. It just, you don't even have to worry if it's a C or a K because it's, yeah. it's flush. <laughs> anyway, go on. Sorry. Oh, no, no, no. You're, no, you're quite right. What I was going to say on top of that, see, that's going back to the the other question you had about conversation is the fact that we're taking the bait on stuff like that is it a k or is it a c instead of actually having a conversation with individuals out there to help explain exactly what it is because they've been half the time they, they have not a clue they just know it's bad it's evil it, you know you pollute our water you know etc cetera, etc cetera, you know that we hear all the time in industry but we're, we're we're getting misguided we're in our bubble sitting there it's a k no it's a c you know get out of the bubble you know we have to, we have to push back and, and learn and have this you know these conversations and I think that spins a little bit more on, on another topic is the fact that a lot of individuals out there, so I don't mean it's any bad way, but they, especially in industry, they really don't know the numbers or, or the facts. They don't know how to rebut uh, with with numbers sometimes. And, and, and I think that's, again, goes down to our, our, our industry living within, within a, a bubble where we don't have to worry, worry about that. It's just, hey, what do you do? I'm in this job. Well, that's great, man. It, it, and then they bump into someone who protests them, and that person pushes back, and they just sit there and say, oh, hey, you know what? You're an idiot. You have no idea where it comes from. And they ask you, okay, well, 
where does this come from? And they don't know the byproducts that it comes from or what it takes to, you know, to, to make it, um, those byproducts. But being able to push back and say, hey, by the way, you know what, here's how a cracker plant works. And, you know, this is where the, the raw material, you know, for the plastic comes from. And, oh, by the way, it supports X amount of jobs, you know, down the street. And they go, oh, really, that company, my, co- my uncle works there. And a light bulb goes off. You know, but we, we we sit there and is it a K or is it a C? Is it a K or is it a C? So I think uh, hopefully we can get past that and have again just more more um, honest con you know uh, you know conversation as I as I always say. So the other thing I heard, and I talked to some marketing people in the industry, and it was a very touchy subject because there was a lot of headlines, there was a lot of um, quick great momentum behind it but as you kind of you know as things settle a little bit you start hearing some rumblings and some you know private conversations this and that and it had to do with the shale new deal and again this is where i go back to as an industry i think sometimes we can not only get in a bubble but finger point internally a little bit too much when i think there are times we need to say hey if we're on the same page let's just let's be grateful for that because nowadays that's that's getting few and far between when really a, a lot of the issues in oil and gas are b- based on legislation. And so the industry, and that's by design, that's by design um, by the opposition to divide and conquer type of a thing. So when I, you know, the Shale New Deal, uh, some of the things that I, I was kind of hearing was uh, it was a good good name but at the same time it did validate the green new deal and that brought up the bigger question which is we need to take control of the conversation back you know we need to grab a hold of the conversation when we as an industry impact 96 percent of people's daily lives through products and transportation and services we can take the conversation back again um, what, what did you hear? You know, kind of good and bad and indifferent a little bit. Because, again, we're just having this conversation a little bit. Um, did you hear anything good and bad about the Shale New Deal? You know, it's, it's a mixed bag. I heard, you know, more of it from when it hit the wires, especially within on the investment side, because, you know, Parsley is a publicly traded company. Mm-hmm. And so, I, I, you know, it, it hit the wires that way, and I jumped a lot more, um, you know, De, you know, not debate, but um, invest, investment analysts and companies and stuff like that um, to, to weigh in on it. And I don't know, I, I can't be in, you know, in, in the minds of the leadership at, at you know, at, at part, you know, Parsley, um, but I'm wondering if they're doing that because they they want to show the you know the younger generation, the millennials out there that they that they, they've heard them and that they're responding, or if they're doing it because they want to appease the you know the investment community. And you know, have that you know, clean access to you know, capital markets, et cetera. It's hard to really um, know exactly from from their mindset on it. Um, Can I jump in because I, yeah. I I do agree with you, and that's where I was confused because listen, the the Green New Deal is just a spinoff of FDR's New Deal, correct? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, from a, yeah. from a branding, so from a marketing standpoint, you know, from headlines and catching headlines. It's something to talk about. Okay? Right. But as far as the Green New Deal, the, the idea was is what, what we did with the roads and the infrastructure, that's what we're supposed to do with the energy infrastructure. That was kind of the idea behind the marketing and the naming behind the Green New Deal. That was my understanding. 
Um, and so, but I don't, I don't think anybody really knows that. You know what I mean? It's just, it's, it's cause it's so far removed from the actual new deal that, um, people just think it is what it is. And that's why I wonder about the shale new deal, because it seemed like it was a reaction to the green new deal, which I think it was. Um, and, and that, that was the concerning part because it wasn't well explained how they're going to roll it out. You know what I mean? And that's why I wanted to interrupt because I, I didn't really understand how they're going to roll this out because is it going to, you know, go on. I mean, sorry, I, I lost my train of thought there as I interrupted you with your train of thought. So. <laughs> no, 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 you bring up a great, you know, great point, especially with, you know, AOC as they call her in her, you know, quote unquote green new deal. And so, yes, of course, you know, the millennial, you know, the millennials, Gen, Gen Z, etc., probably would only think of the Green New Deal and not even historically go back to, you know, the New Deal with F with FDR, which is where the Green the Green Deal originated from. I don't think they would go that deep into the history of it. Um, so yes, I absolutely you know see where you're coming from from on on that one. The terminology probably could have been better better thought thought out, but I think it was more towards. Um, Get, you know, get, of course, gaining headlines, at least letting the public know that, you know, the shock and awe effect that, hey, listen, we, we've heard the, you know, the investor community, we've heard the, the money managers were at least, you know, attempting to go down, you know, down this down this path. Um, but like you said, getting into the weeds on it uh, hasn't been quite laid out yet. And I think what you're going to start seeing uh, with other energy companies, and I hope so if, if they're smart, is coming out with at least publicly what their quote-unquote ESG plan is because that's the hot thing on Wall Street right now. We know how tight the capital markets are right now for anyone to, to gain capital or to exit um, you know, projects. It's very hard to do right now, and the biggest pushback is not so much even on, on the fundamentals of the investments, which is what most investors look at when it comes to money. It's more on the ESG, the environment, social, and governance portion of it. What's your ESG plan look like? I talked to one company um, and, 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 you know, recently, and, and they were like, what the hell, what's ESG stand for? And I was like, oh. It's like man, they must have been living underneath a rock, and it goes back to that bubble again that, you know, that I, we kept talking about. Um, so I do give them kudos for at least putting a spotlight on it um of course that nape is probably one one area you know that they could do it as i mean i'm sorry do it from but i'm surprised they didn't call a whole separate press conference you know outside of the community and do it they might have gotten more traction if they actually would have done a full press release or maybe gone to a site you know that was full esg compliant and said oh by the way this is the site of the future and here's what's different and what we're going to do over the next five to ten years etc would have been probably a more aggressive plan for people outside the industry, outside the bubble, because everyone, you know, at NAEP, of course, in some way, should perform knows the industry and our land guys and things of that nature. So, um, but again, maybe it was just a test too. Maybe they want to see what the reaction would be, but I, I, I give them, you know, credit for, for stepping out of the comfort zone and being one of the first to quote unquote publicly uh, address it. And I think more companies are going to follow with it until to, to land this long, long plane on this, on this comment. I think together across operators and service companies, there has to be a unified approach to it. And that's the problem we don't have. It's so fragmented today that everyone's you know definition of ESG is not going to be the same. And I think it's going to cause more trouble going forward because there's no unified, you know, what exactly is ESG in the oil and gas industry and what, what constitutes it. And I think that's going to be the next hurdle that we're going to have to overcome that the um, you know climate you know climate uh, 
awareness groups, climate activists, climate for activists, whatever name you want to give to it, will always push back on it. So I think that's going to be the bigger top topic is, you know, what exactly is ESG? Oh, I think that's the million dollar meat part of this interview, man. I mean, because that is the next wave is to incorporate the ESG element into your business plan in order to make that work. I totally agree with you, 100%. And if the Shale New Deal is going to reflect that, then then I think it is going to be very well done. If I think I, th- I think if it's just a way to, you know, get headlines and, and get attention and then just kind of keep doing the same thing that we've been doing the last 10 years, I, I, I think that's, I think it's a mistake because all it did then at the end of the day was validate the Green New Deal. But. Exactly. And it will be back to the same situation we have, we, we've been in the last, you know, five to 10 years is frack a C or a K. And then next thing is going to be, okay, what's the E and ESG, what's the S and S, and what's the G and G? And we're going to be down that rabbit hole again where we're all like, okay, well, that's not sustainable. Well, yes, it is. Or that's not good governance. Yes, it is. Uh, you know, frack is bottled with a C. No, it's bottled with a K. Uh, that type of um, back and forth and forth again. So I hope that is, is this conversation, and I've tried driving some through social channels. I've tried to, to bring awareness to, to ESG before it even became popular. You know, I've been pushing it for the last two years. Out, out of a good steward of resources, which would lead to a good steward of capital, which would lead to good stewards of investors and the trickle-down effect of it. Um, and, of course, you know, I've gotten some pushback, you know, pushback and yelled at and, you know, all kinds of di- different things because, you know, even people don't know that I come from, you know, the background of the oil field. I've been out there. I've, I'm not just some kind of, you know, keyboard warrior on this, and I've seen it firsthand where the the waste inefficiencies of resources within the oil and gas, and we just kind of, you know, sweep underneath the rug because we, you know, the operators, you know, they need the cells, and they need the cells to service the debt, and, you know, hey, if we leave oil down hole and don't get it all out, then we'll just, you know, drill another one, or don't worry about, the, you know, the flaring, you know, we'll, we don't have to worry about, you know, finding alternatives for that, maybe, you know, on-site power generation, or, Instead of you know recycling water, we'll just you know use the fresh water. And, and so if you take us you know outside the bubble again, if you look at it and you're just someone who doesn't really understand the industry, and all you see is all these resources being blatantly used without understanding exactly where they go, what it takes to make to make it work. If you step back and look at it objectively, I would hope you say, man, these guys are really inefficient. There, I mean, they're really blowing through a lot of resources and waste. No wonder these guys can't make any money. You know, and yeah, then on top of that, it it it, it comes it comes down to that. So you can't be mad at people for trying to address the situation, especially when it's so blatant out there, and there's no no method or, or process to to help um, you know push back and, and fight it, and not just for the environmental reasons, but for the financials, for being good stewards of the resources and the finances. So I think it's coming to a head, and 2020 is going to be the year. Those that you know get on board with this ESG um, are going to make it, and those that, that don't, I think, are probably the end of this end of this year are going to probably be acquired or they're going to be in bankruptcy. Well, that's where I'm going with next is, you know, one of the things that I said last summer is there's, there's a change happening. You know, when you have back in 2012, I I had a number of CEOs on our program from um, John Gibson from one Oak and Harold Hamm and, you know, and Tommy news. And these guys, I'm not name dropping. I'm just saying that because these, these are, CEOs of publicly traded companies for the most part, so they can't get on and start using exaggerated language and that sort of stuff. They have to adhere to shareholders and attorneys, and, and they got to be careful with what they can say. With that being said, 
they all use the word paradigm shift. And with horizontal flushing, formerly known as fracking, and it's with, um, see how I just did that? I just changed it right there. I grabbed a hold of the conversation, JB. I took a hold of my own and said flushing. No, but, Jason, you yeah. know what you should do? You should, you should have a, um, um, uh, was a Jim Cramer moment and get you some of those sound things. Oh, I'd love it. Yeah. I would absolutely yeah, I love it. I, 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 oh, I'll be so. Uh, and Jim Cramer actually said something last night that I've been saying for the past year. I was saying this last summer on, on presentations and speaking, which is if we keep doing what we're doing, 80% of the industry is going to be controlled by a dozen companies across the globe because of regulation, not because of the market, but because of regulation. And that's exactly what he said last night. He said the only thing that's going to save the oil and gas industry right now is consolidation across the globe. And I don't think we're there yet, but there's way too many tea leaves being read that way for my liking. And from an industry who does like to sometimes shoot the messenger and you're either all with us or you're all against us, that is what I think is going to be the biggest obstacle in 2020 for most of the oil and gas industry is really kind of taking a step back and saying, okay, maybe it's not either you're against us or you're with us or, you know what I mean? We, we, we need to figure out a new strategy because getting back to that paradigm shift, the paradigm shift has happened on the well. The paradigm shift has happened in the HR department. Just ask anybody who understands big data and the way exponential uh, offices work. So that, that is happening there. From the PR standpoint, I do think a paradigm shift needs to happen too. Now, with that being said, you brought up resources earlier. We've, we've given a ton of resources towards PR. We've had a lot of campaigns. We've done a lot of education. And, and quite honestly, the same people have been getting the same resources for the past 10 years. And right now, we're on the brink of the most important year in the industry's history. Now, I'm not here to point fingers. I'm not here to say anything. I'm here to say we're getting some people that are on the same page saying this is our most important year in history. And everything we've done up till now is not working very well. So what do you got for us, JB? You got any solutions? You got, I mean, anything from how to get the industry leaders that are entrusted with the resources, a fresh new way to reinvent energy, to what a way is to recharge people out there, to get out and be active, to, you know, repurpose their own life, I guess. <laughs> I just kind of... <laughs> yeah, you know, and I appreciate you bringing it up and asking that question because I think what we have, and it's going to be hard, you know, hard, hard to say, but, you know, what we have failed at is using the social mediums that are out there to, to engage and sometimes, you know, be provocative in a way and, and, you know, I always say push, you know, push back instead of debate, but push back against things. And if you really look at the attention span of, you know, the younger generation and the younger generations, which is now um, all over media, every single from from TikTok to YouTube to, you know, yes, to LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, um, blog posts, podcasts, you name it. Uh, um, you know, most people get their news now in less than a three minute snippet. And then it's because their buddies post it and they, they like it. You know, and a lot of the people today don't know how to, to critique or to think critically. Um, unfortunately, and so if they keep hearing things over and over again, it must, it, there must, it therefore must be true. And we, again, in the industry, because of our bubble, because we've done it this way for 30 years, you know, and I always say, um, we, we have to, you know, these companies on all facets from, you know, 
service companies to small mom and pops to bigger operators, integrates, anything within oil and gas need a good social program, a good social presence. And if they all start to do that and come underneath a unified message, then I think you'll see the narrative start to, to, to turn more because, again, people just don't know because we're not telling them. You know, we're just kind of like laying back and just sitting there and be like, oh, you know what? This, you know, we, we know that they're going to need it. And so we don't need to tell them why. Well, if we don't allow the narrative to be controlled without pushing back on, on actual facts, things, you know, not, not emotional argumentation, but actual facts and help people self realize um, the benefits of it, then we're only, I hate to say this, four years away from, again, another presidential election that can turn the shift, you know, turn the ties completely around again. And we're only one chief administrator, one CEO, one you know president, commander in chief away from entire legislation changes. And um, again, I don't want to scare anybody like that, but uh, you know if we don't start putting the uh, things in play right now for four years down the road, and it does come down to you know to a major election shift, um, then we could be in a world of hurt again. And the reason I say four years and and not just you know next year is because I really do think you know. Um, you know, Trump will, will be will be back in, and you know we'll get another four years out of it. But again, we're in our bubble. I mean, let's just say, God forbid, he doesn't. Then what? And we're only less than a year away from that right now. So here's what worries me about the pol- the political side of things. I agree with you. I think Trump will win in a landslide, even if it's close. He's still going to win in a landslide. Um, and with that being said, I think the real issue for the next four years is what happens on the local levels. Uh, Colorado has shown how the local template can be used on a national level. Let me explain what I mean by that. And, I, and I've, I've asked this to a couple politicians, and, and they're, they're seeing what I'm talking about, and they, they explain it a little bit better than I do because when a national interest, special interest group can go into any town in Colorado and, and hire just a couple people to basically go and show up to the meetings, and that's their full-time job is to go and do this, do this special interest thing. And when they can do that at a local level using, you know, fear and health and, you know, that sort of thing in order to pass legislation with unproven facts, because it's always good to, you know, to err on safety, as they say, and that's a lot of what they're doing. It can be controlled at a local level from a national way. And then the secret is through the state regulators is how they, they, they get that done. And um, that's where I think the next four years, because I, I do think Trump's going to win, but I think over the next four years, those local county and state ones are going to be oh so important to get with, in line with your nexus of the next four years because you know then you've got the local, state, and, and, and county levels meeting at the same time that the, basically the presidential one does. And then, boy it's going to be a power grab like you've never seen. Yeah, no, exactly. And also, you know, what's funny when you bring that up too, on the local presence. And so to take a step back. So way before I got into oil and gas, I was a staffer in, in Congress and my degrees in political science. So I take a, you know, a pretty good liking to governance and government. And, and I, I, I know I say this very humbly. I know a lot more than most people and how government works. Like, Cause I've been in there, I've, you know, I've been deep into it. Um, what people forget is they don't stay engaged in their local communities, you know, like sunshine laws and things of that nature. They don't know when legislation on the local level or from like, you know, the county or the borough and things of that, um, they don't be proactive or engaged. They just react when, when things are passed and they say, oh, this shouldn't have come to that. And 
again, I think that goes down to people uh, in, in on the energy sector being engaging through social media channels and helping you know make create awareness, create stories, um, help edu- you know not even just educate but re-educate um, individuals. Because I, again, I just don't think that we as an industry we've been complacent, and now the narrative is being controlled. I mean, look at the. Um, uh, the, was it the war show, the Oscars? You know, I was like, this is going to be interesting. I bet it's going to be less than 30 seconds before they start, you know, calling us climate deniers and stuff. And then there it was, like a minute, 30 seconds into it, climate deniers. And I, I just sat there, I was like, you know, now, you know, it just, it just irks me, but there, there's no response. I mean, it's complete. You know, there was not one energy company that pushed back after, after that and said, oh, by the way, they're incorrect. You know, they're controlling the whole narrative. And again, it goes down to, you know, to, to education and, and bringing things to attention, I think through social channels is the main driver. And then if we did that, then people would be more active on the local level to go and say, hey, listen, you know, I'm I'm Johnny the farmer down here, and I heard that you guys are going to be passing an ordinance that you're going to take the, the right away from 100 feet to 500. I don't like that because that's going to cut off my ability to produce from my well and have a pipeline come through and, and get my product to market. It, you, you know that that happens, but people don't know about that, and it's happening all over the place. You know that was one of the things I brought up about how yesterday in Boulder, Colorado, there was a protest that happened, and there was only I only found one person from industry there, and the rest of you know the the rest of them weren't really there. Um, I got some photos from some reporters I know that were there, but there was a lot of people speaking against. Um, is it uh, NEPA, 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 Trump's rolling back on some of the um, um, BLM land, some of the federal lands. So a lot of people showed up for, for the protesting in Boulder on that. And that's where I, I, I agree with you. You know, when somebody brings that up from the Oscars or there's a protest going on or there's something happening along those lines, um, I wonder where 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 is industry on that? Where is industry to push back, put out a press release, you know, saying, "Stop shaming us," you know? Because I mean, if if we got to go that route, let's go that route because really, it's a discrimination and public shaming that's just accepted by people. I mean, you can't go up there and just start making fun of an industry because you think it's dirty. Do you know what I mean by that? Where it's kind of like an accepted public shaming. Yeah, and, and take you know, take us a little. Uh, a, a more in depth just look at exxon and up in new york city you know where they went to court you know being sued trying to sue exxon saying to find fault you know for for pollute for lack of better words you know you know pollution um and you know and climate change and basically without any laws you know being on the books they just decided you know they're going to take them to court and try to establish precedent through the judicial system and you know, just imagine, let's just say it didn't go in favor of Exxon. And now all of a sudden, now every energy operator out there can be liable for their quote-unquote emissions um, without ever going through legislature. It was ruled you know, from a judicial standpoint instead of a legislative standpoint. So now you have judicial activism playing into it. Because, again, going back to the narrative, these you know companies, you know, all together, um, there's no cohesive pushback um through media channels, you know, th- you know, again, you know, through socials, through YouTube, all the way down to TikTok and your, your typical platforms, and, and 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 I think that's the biggest part that a lot of us are missing. Um, and of course, people are always, you know, and I say this, they say, "Oh, that's what the API is for." And I go, "The API is, is an industry." You know, most people have no idea what the hell an API stand, you know, spells out. American Petroleum Institute, you know, 
you know, it's so funny you say that because I, after that thing in Colorado happened yesterday in Boulder, and I, I understand they have protests all the time and they have everything out, but this was, this was a federal protest. There's only, it was the first one in the nation for this, okay? And it was in Boulder, Colorado, and Kathleen Scama was there from the Western Energy Alliance, and, and some lobbyists were there who get paid to show up and everything else. But then all I could think of is, where are the associations? Where are the activist group that all these guys are giving money to? Because that's what that, that that's why they should be there. And I looked and I'm getting emails about different events that, you know, it's, you know, Mardi Gras is coming up and golf events and sponsor this and that. And I'm thinking, I thought the reason that they were sponsoring all these things so that you could get your butt to these events and protest and, and get the word out and set the record straight. Am I being too critical here at this point? No, you're describing exactly what I call the bubble. You know, that's that's exactly what's what's going on. You know, let's go out and spend you know x amount of dollars for this shoot or this you know this hunt and stuff and pal uh, pal around with each other, which is fine. I, I get that. I am not shaming or hating in any way, shape, or form on that. And we, we've got to do that. At, you know, within our industry, but that. You know, that's being with other like-minded individuals. We need to get out, and why? Why not? If we went to a shoot or something of that nature, why not try to reach out to the local, you know, um, you know protest or activist, whatever name you want to, you know, you want to give them, and just say, listen, I just want to hang out with you a little bit, and we'll talk a little shop. I just want to get to know you as a person, you me as a person. Let's just have a conversation. But no, we can't do that, you know. But that's how that's that's how you start change. That's how you, how you are able, you know, to do it. Um, and I just wish more people, you know, organizations would would do that. And if they did, I think you start seeing the you know the narrative change. I think you'd start seeing perception change. And then all of a sudden, it won't be so aggressive. People would calm down on both sides. And I think you would actually good get good quality long term legislation that benefits everybody across the board and won't be such you know so polarized and uh, and such misinformation. I don't know if I was in any sort of energy, and I am, and and we did this last year. We we did a, a very thorough gut check with ourselves to make sure that we were reaching out to people that are not in the energy fraternity. Because I've heard that a lot when I go places. Oh, you guys are like but like a fraternity. You don't really, you know, you're kind of obnoxious and you exclude people. I hear that a lot from different areas. You know, being especially being from on the east side of the state in North Dakota where it's all ag and they kind of, they, they don't particularly like energy development on the east, uh, much like in Boulder, they don't particularly like it or in Austin, Texas. It's, it's a lot like that. So I started bringing that message to some of the conferences last year talking about ways to reach out to non-energy people. And I'm not kidding you. People were kind of, half the people were listening. The other half were back in the in the room uh flirting with the bartender you know and, and that sort of thing not not paying attention and i thought you know i don't care you know that's fine that the energy people brought me in because they wanted my message to be told you know back then i was talking about the industry's perception basically everything they talked about at nape i was talking about last summer and all i could think of was that this is going to actually be real people we need to have an industry moment to say 2020 is going to change everything this this environmental movement in North Dakota, we've had the Davis refinery under legislation. I'm sorry, under litigation for almost two and a half years. And it's like, you don't think they're going to take that blueprint and use it for every refinery going forward? The DAPL uh, pro protest. 
I had, you know, I, I actually did interview a few of the protesters on our program. One of the reasons, like you say, we got to reach out to the other side to find out what they wanted and to find out what they really are getting after. And there were people that were very upset that I'd, I'd even give them the time of day. And, you know, I get it. But at the same time, the only way we can get progress is to, you know, not just completely do everything one-sided. We had to hear what they had to say. At the end of the day, it was just, it was, they wanted money. But, I mean, so it was, it, it, they kind of lost their cause. But I wouldn't have known that if I went to interview them. You know what I mean? And I was able to sniff it out pretty quick. I don't know. I, I, I look at it, and one of the reasons that we do our music crossover is because we want the music industry to promote us instead of protesting against us. And will it change overnight? No. But is it helping? We think so. Um, and that's really what our message is trying to be, is that I don't think we can change this perception overnight, but I do think we got to start trying new things and supporting each other as an industry, even if not financially, just on social media by liking and sharing and everything, because a lot of people will spend their time and energy arguing and uh, forwarding fake news stories and getting mad at people for posting something about Kim Kardashian instead of forwarding on a photo of an energy company teaching kids how to read. Do you know what I mean by that? Where We, we got to start choosing where we set, spend and send our resources, whether it's monetary or our human energy. JB, your thoughts. Yeah, no, it's uh, I, I'm with you on, on that, you know, 100% because I think if, if I'm going to really you know, sum this up, is the, is that there is no. Um, I want to choose my words somewhat carefully when I say like a unified organization that could spearhead or start leading this you know this charge um, instead of having it so you know fragmented um, amongst the oil and gas industry. And but you know by that I mean is you know there's no clear. If you really just you know to, to really get down to the roots of it, there's no real clear national energy policy of uh, within the United States, you know, and so there's no how much how much you know power generation should come from coal, how much from natural gas, how much you know oil, how much um, should be wind, how much should be sun, et cetera, et cetera. It's kind of like it's just this tug of war between all all industries and everyone's the best and everyone else. If you're not on my side, you're evil or you're mm -hmm. this or that. This is name calling. But if you really get to the very root of it, why don't we have? Why isn't there a national energy policy? I mean, they were talking that since the last, you know, the late seventies. Um, you know, and it, it's a. It, I'm surprised that it hasn't been brought up, especially going into 2020. Why it, you know someone doesn't come out and say, "Listen, you know, I want to establish a national energy policy." You know, um, you going into this on all sides, both sides, and not, and not be, you know, exclusionary in any way, shape, or form, but. It, I think if we were able to do that, then there's some clarity in the market, and then people will feel that they're heard, and there's a path, and then you can start having dialogue, and then just, you know, you can adjust accordingly. But until we really come up with that, I think it's always going to be okay. Frax spell with the C. No, it's you know spell with the K. No, it's going to change the flush. You know, um, but it's it's uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's. I, it's I it's catching on. I, I see you're already starting. Yeah, yeah. You already starting to put it into your dialogue. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly, but you know, to be able to have those type of you know conversations, the very root of it, I think, comes down to a you know national you know energy policy per se, and then from that, 
be able to get together and you know and and communicate to the public oh here's why we're doing this or here's why okay some coal you know power plants have come offline in the last 10 years and here's how much in 20 you know 20 years from now it's going to be coal-fired generation here's how much it's going to be natural gas here's how much it's going to be nuclear here's why here's why we need to have diversification why we can't just eliminate all of coal power plants because during summertime during peak demand we need to flick a switch quickly to to keep your air conditioning on um most people, you know, they just think it's, you know, the electricity is going to be there. But if we had that type of approach, a national energy policy, then we can come together and be able to communicate um, uh, out to the public and address concerns and get rid of all the misinformation, get rid of all of the the fake news on both sides. Because, I mean, you know, oil and gas isn't, you know, uh, you know, not doing it, and neither is the climate activists. I mean, there are, there's there's bad actors in a, in all industries, but I think that at the root of it, if we're able to do that from a starting point, uh, going into 2020 would be a huge win. And hopefully, maybe some candidates out there and some leadership would hear about that and say, "Man, that's a pretty good idea. Maybe we really should start looking at national energy policy and get conversation talking, get both sides, get everyone around the table, be like." Um, you know, King Arthur, you know, sit around the round table and, and do good for the, for, for the United States, but also the world. You know, I'm going to bring that up to Senator Kramer next time I have him on. Um, I'm going to add, he's on the energy committee for Trump and um, he's a regular on the program. He'll, he's, he's very easy to talk to. He'll, I'll just ask him that and he'll come up with, he'll, he'll tell us the reason why there is, or if they're working on it or where they're at. So, um, that's good stuff. I'm going to ask him about that. By the way, JB Bendick with us, uh, Bendick with us, uh, Navitas, and uh, is it Navitas or Navitas? Uh, I usually just you know, shorthand it called TNO, but it, the full <laughs> name is you know the Navitas organization. Okay. Or uh, you know to to uh, his, you know, Hispanic uh, the Navitas organization. So I, I say it both ways myself. So um, it stands for um, the energy organization. So that's the, the, the main portion of it. So I will guarantee you, folks, you will never do a podcast or an interview like here on The Crude Life because as I'm looking down at my notes, J.B. Bendick, I know you've done a lot of interviews, and I can tell you you have not done an interview like this. Baker Mayfield behind the Cheesecake Factory, uh, reconnecting with youth, a little bit of frack to flush. National Energy Policy, ESG Plan, the Shale New Deal. We were all over the board, man. <laughs> I mean, we and, just... and, and, and last, you know, shout out to Baker, man. I hopefully, hopefully you at least got a, you know, a gift card. You know, remember next time, don't take your uh, your date to the Cheesecake Factory, man. You're making us all look bad. So, I mean, honestly, what did he just like hook up with her on Tinder behind the Cheesecake Factory? I mean, I got to go back and read that story. I mean, I normally. Bet you, I, I bet you they were dumpster diving. You know, that's the new dating now is, you know, hey, let's be behind the dumpster and go at it, you know? <laughs> oh, is it really? That's so funny. No, no, just... I, I wouldn't surprise me at all. I mean, why not? But uh, anyway, well, I appreciate you coming on. You're always good to talk to because, you know, you're one of the guys who likes to bat things around a little bit and just because you say it doesn't mean it's it's your final final answer you know we're just trying to have a con you know like you're kind of like me any conversation you go to you don't have any problem being the contrarian as long as the other person knows you're just having a conversation if they get sensitive and start arguing well you got to, got to adapt accordingly but I can tell in your blood, you just like to be a contrarian by nature just so that the conversation has progress. Is that a pretty fair assessment? Hey, absolutely. Even during, you know, this um, interview, I, you know, normally I would say conversation, but I'm getting better at saying conversation. It's a little tongue twister on that. But I think if we 
if we everyone even outside the energy industry if we learn not to so much have a conversation but have a conversation um i think you know it could change lives so all over the place because i think everyone tries to what's that saying everyone tries to to listen to react instead of um, listening to 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 learn there's a there's a quote out there i can't mm-hmm. remember exactly offhand something along those lines and i just think if, if we take that approach to everything in life i think um especially especially here in america i think we would get along a, a lot better and, and our humanity on all sides of the political spectrum would be would be for the better